Good morning, everyone. At the first service, uh, Evan, you, uh, you, you did a good job. You were very kind, even though you threw UK under the bus. Missy Cunningham showed up in a bright orange, fuzzy Tennessee jacket and sat like right here where I had to see her the entire service to rub salt in the womb. So it was good morning to everyone except for Missy Cunningham today. She's <laughs> off the list. But um, this morning we're going to be continuing our A Generous Life sermon series. But first I want to introduce you to somebody. I'm going to invite A.J. Partington to come on up. Um, A.J is serving as one of our co-chairs of our stewardship team this year. Um, those of you who've been around Broadway for a while, you might know that this is the time of year where we always invite people who call Broadway home to prayerfully consider how they'll give to our church in the year ahead. Um, you'll get an estimate of giving card in the mail this week. You'll have the chance to, to talk about that with your family and we'll bring it back as a part of worship next week. Uh, but what that card essentially does is it helps us to plan how we're going to live out our mission of invite, grow, and serve in the year ahead. And as you um, do that this year, the thing I want you to know first and foremost is that I am just like so grateful for how generous you as a people already are. Um, this past year, your giving to our general fund as a church um, increased here at this campus. And then um, also you went above and beyond. There was some pie in the face of the pastors that might have encouraged it, but you went above and beyond to help help us begin renovating our children's space and to make programming possible for our youth. And so I just get so excited when I think about um, this community that we're creating together as you all give in the many different ways that you do with your time, with your talents, with um, your resources. Um, God truly is just building something really beautiful among us. But um, AJ, you have been a part of this congregation like ever since we opened these doors out here. It's like 2008. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and, um, and, and so AJ, he's uh, been a part of, of us uh, discerning each and every year. He stepped into this leadership position this year, which we're so grateful for. Uh, but he's going to share with you all a couple of tools that can help you in your own personal discernment in the week ahead. So on the screen. You'll see two things that are appearing there. Both of these are going to be in a mailing that you're going to receive. And the first one is on the left. It's called the Giving Path. And so, AJ, would you tell us just a little bit about what that tool is and how we can use it? Sure. Um, so first, I wanted to start with, uh, you know, when I was first approached to speak with you all and come alongside of the stewardship leadership team, I had my doubts, right? I mean, tithing is tough enough to talk about, but I really struggled with uh, finding a reason to, to not say yes. Um, you know, as you, as you look across the board of what all giving means to the church and to God, it's, to God in general, um, it was a no-brainer for me to, to volunteer to, to come alongside and support Greenwood and be able to present some of these tools with you all. It's been beneficial for myself, so hopefully you all have, uh, have seen the same. But um, like Laura mentioned, there's a couple um, tools that you'll receive in the mail. If you look on the left, you've got the giving path, which is essentially walking you through the journey of giving. Um, what that actually looks like. So everything from a first-time giver down to an intentional giver. So carving out a certain percentage, uh, maybe of your income to dedicate and give back to God, uh, the growing giver. So once you um, are able to pray and um, give those resources to God, maybe growing that um, intentionally um, and then striving towards uh, getting to a tither, roughly a 10%, um, and then the extravagant giver. But there's more about all this um, that's going to be mailed out to you as well. But um, I just also wanted to say one other thing. Um, 
No matter where you are in your giving path, uh, God and Broadway are extremely grateful for your generosity and the gifts that you give us. Uh, the goal of Pathway to Generosity is for everyone to prayerfully consider giving back some of the gifts that God has generously given to us. Uh, we hope that everyone will take the time that Laura mentioned with the, the estimated giving card to fill that out um, in the upcoming week um, and just pray on where God leads you in your giving path. Perfect. So that's the giving path tool. And then you're also going to receive a yearly proportional giving chart, which um, I like to say is the gift to all of us who are not good at math. So AJ, tell us more about that. Yeah. So if we all don't build spreadsheets like Evan uh, for everything that we do in life, uh, <laughs> this, this is definitely a tool to keep handy as you're praying. Um, and as you're considering your giving path and your journey, you know, what would it take to get from 1% to X percent? Um, or, you know, just sort of something for you to keep in the back of your mind as you're, as you're in prayer with God. Um, the whole goal of this really, though, is that um, striving towards getting from just a, an occasional tithe to getting to a percentage uh, where you can actually dedicate your gifts to God um, and keep that um, you know, consistent uh, throughout the upcoming year. Um, percentage givers make giving a priority uh, and also determine the sort of the future of church and how God will work within our church. Uh, the purpose of both of these tools is just for you to uh, have at your at your um, uh, quick <laughs> yeah, <laughs> quick discretion, right? right as you're uh, praying and considering things. Um, it's not at all forceful, uh, but we just wanted to make sure that everyone has the tools and resources as they consider what giving looks like for them in the coming year. Perfect. Thank you, AJ. So we've got these two tools, but what about you personally? Like what has helped you in your own personal discernment process as a family, as you've taken steps in your generosity journey? And why do you all choose to, to give it all to Broadway when you could give to so many other things? Sure. Uh, so I'll start with me personally and then move into after I got married. So, you know, I always grew up in the church and was around, you know, saw my parents giving uh, tithes. Uh, and gifts. And I knew that it was just something that was in the Bible. You, sh you know, you should do it. Uh, but I didn't really understood why, right? It was more of you do it just because you, you pass the tray around or whatnot. Uh, so, you know, as I turned into a young adult, uh, you know, had some loose, you know, cash in my, in my pocket, whatever, throw it in there. But I never, once again, never understood what it meant or, or why I was doing it. It was just one of those things that I've, I've seen in, uh, in the church growing up. Um, it wasn't until I started looking at specifically here at Broadway, you know, all the different uh, ministries that, that Broadway has, you know, started out with just a couple small ministries. Now, I mean, if you go look at the website, the list goes on and on. Um, all these amazing things are funded by the gifts that, you know, I'm essentially giving, right? So it helped me really understand that the gifts were being used in a much more impactful way than me just providing, you know, some cash to keep the electricity bill going. Um, so when I thought about that, I knew that was something that I had to do. Uh, it was, you know, something that God called me to do. And so as we got, as I got married, um, we clearly laid out giving was the foundation of our, our marriage and our faith. It's never been something we've questioned. Um, sure. There were times when, you know, maybe skipping a week or two would, would help out financially and, and relieve some stress, but um, God always provided a way. He provided us with, you know, the, the gifts themselves. So uh, it was easy to, to make sure we committed and, and gave back. And once again, the final, the final point you said is, you know, why Broadway's just, it's amazing to see what Broadway has done. You know, like Laura said, I've been attending since 2008, 2009, specifically here. Grew up sort of at Melrose, but just to see the church grow um, and everything is framed around your mission of Invite Grow Serve. Perfect. Thank you, AJ. I invite you guys um, in the week ahead to consider your why for um, for giving to the church. I'll tell you one of my whys. Let's thank him for sharing with us this morning.
Thank you. Um, my, one of my whys is because I want my children to be surrounded by people like you, to be a part of a community like this. Uh, we have so many amazing kids and youth that are a part of our church, um, and uh, they're always wowing me in all these different ways. Uh, but one, one of our kids came up to me a few weeks ago. We were at a meeting over at the Fellowship House, and they had a magic trick. And uh, the magic trick went like this. They, they put uh, like a metal cup on the table and then they put like a little red ball and then they put another cup on top of that and another cup on top of that. And then they like tap the cup and voila, when they lifted up all the cups, that little ball had gone from being on top of that bottom cup to being underneath all of them. I was like, ooh, this is pretty cool, you know? Uh, but I needed to know how this works. So I watched her do it over again, you know, cup, ball, cup, cup, tap. Same result every time. And so uh, Laura Compton and I were sitting there together and, and we, uh, we were like, okay, you know, this has to be rigged in some way. There has to be a rational, logical explanation for this. So it has to be the cups. Like the cups are, are messed up, you know, they got a hole in it or something that we're not seeing. And so we finally harassed this poor child until they gave us the cups. <laughs> And when they gave us the cups, y'all, no joke, like we're hitting on the cups and like there's no give to the cups. So then I was like, what is going on here? Um, of course, I have another theory now. My theory is that she switched out the cups before she handed them to us, um, but that has not been confirmed. I will check with the child's parents to see. But um, ever since then, like it's been on my mind, I'm like determined to figure out this magic trick. Why? Because I I like for things to be rational, right? I like for things to be predictable. And why is that? Because I like to be in control, all right? I can admit it. I like to be in charge and be able to know what the outcome is going to be. I don't know about you all, but I often like hold logic like it is my security blanket. It is very comforting to me to know that I can do A, B, and C and get X, Y, and Z which might be why Jesus sometimes makes me and others feel a little bit antsy. Because Jesus, he has this way of blowing up our common logic in this upside down kingdom of his. For example, common logic tells us that satisfaction comes from like working as hard as we possibly can. But Jesus says that true satisfaction comes from resting in him. Common logic says that to be great, we need to climb up to the top of the ladder. But, but Jesus says that true greatness is found in becoming like a servant. Common logic says that our purpose is to achieve and acquire. But Jesus says our true purpose is simply to be loved as his sons and his daughters. Jesus defies common logic again and again and again to bring us abundance. And perhaps no one knew this better than one of Jesus' disciples, one of his inner circle, one of his best buds named Simon. Simon was a fisherman in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee, um, which you can see here on this beautiful landscape. Um, but right off the bat, us just saying that sentence tells us a whole lot about him. 
What this tells us is, first of all, Simon was not top grade disciple material because if Simon had been at this point in his life, he would have already been following a rabbi around. If he'd been amongst the best and the brightest religious scholars, then then someone would have already scooped him up. But here he is working the family business. Now, before you go off and start feeling like really bad for him, like he's gotten this rotten, lousy consolation prize by having to be a fisherman, let me tell you, things are probably going all right for Simon, okay? In this time, uh, the fishing industry was flourishing in this region. The rulers of the day, they were investing in this booming business, and they had created this very stable environment for it to grow and to expand. And so Simon was likely doing pretty well for himself. However, as of late, he had had a few distractions. There was this guy named Jesus, and he was teaching, and all these crowds were following him around. In fact, just a few days before, there had been this huge commotion down at the synagogue, just a few blocks away from Simon's home. This is um, a picture of a fourth century synagogue that stands now on top of where the synagogue would have stood in Jesus' day. But it was here in this spot in Capernaum that Jesus wowed the crowd. He had not only taught with like such authority in a way that the people had never heard before, but he had actually driven out an impure spirit out of, out of this man right before their eyes. Needless to say, this wasn't the kind of thing that happened in Capernaum every day. And so naturally, the people were excited. They rushed out of the synagogue. They go out and they start telling everyone they can find about what has happened, but not Simon. Now, Simon, he's got another plan. He does something even bolder than that. He goes and he asks this rabbi named Jesus to come back to his house. Um, this is an overhead shot that shows you um, Capernaum today. And you can see just like how close these two places would have been. Here on the right, you can see again the remnants of the synagogue. And if you see the octagon building there, that's a church that has been built over the top of Simon's house. So literally, you can walk out of the synagogue and pretty much like throw a rock and hit where Simon would have lived. And so Jesus and Simon, they make this short journey from the synagogue to his home. And whenever they get there, you finally figure out why he has made this very bold invitation. You come to find out that Simon's mother-in-law has a fever. And it seems that, that Simon has already connected the dots. Maybe this Jesus can do for her what he's done for this man with an impure spirit. Sure enough, Jesus drives out this fever. And before you know it, She's up on her feet, serving them Kool-Aid and cookies, um, as any good mother-in-law does. That's what Pam serves here at church, so that's what I went with, you know? It seems reasonable. But she, she was up, and she was serving them. And so here's Simon, once again, up close and personal. He's seen Jesus' goodness. He has seen Jesus' compassion. He has seen Jesus' healing power. But the show wasn't over yet, because remember all those people at the synagogue who rushed out and started telling other people? Well, all of them start showing up on Simon's doorstep, and they brought these their friends and their family who are in need of, of healing of all different kinds. And so Simon is sitting in his house, kind of on the front porch, watching Jesus heal one person after another, after another, after another, all night. Over the next few days, 
I can just imagine Simon like going through the motions of his normal day life, but being very unfocused, you know, like he's trying to make sense of all that he has just seen happen. He's trying to figure out who in the world is this guy named Jesus. And so he's out in his boat doing his job, but he's kind of on autopilot. Have you ever like gone into that mode before, you know, maybe like you're driving someplace and you get there and you're like, I have no idea how I just got to this place. Um, This happened to me the other morning. I was driving to the gym to meet a friend. And as I was crossing Scottsville Road to go to the Melrose campus, I was like, bing, oh, you've already driven place the the spot you're supposed to be going. You've already gone further than you should. It happens, right? And so I have to wonder if that's partly what happened to Simon on this one particular night. Simon had gone out and he had fished all night like usual, but perhaps a bit on autopilot. You know, he'd done all the usual things. He'd applied all the common logic. He used all the tried and true best practices. He had done all the same same things that he had done so many nights before to be successful. He'd done A, B, and C to get X, Y, and Z. But this night he had come up completely empty-handed. He had no fish to show for it. And so you know he has to be frustrated. You know, his family and all these people he's in business with are kind of depending on him. However, as his boat began to near the water's edge, guess who he sees yet again? Jesus. He just keeps showing up all over the place. And so as Simon and his partners are cleaning out their nets, getting ready to go home, they're overhearing what Jesus is saying to this large crowd of people that have gathered around. And as they're listening, suddenly Jesus turns and he asks something of his new friend named Simon. Um, he asked Simon if he can get out, get into his boat and push off a little bit from the shore, not to get away from the crowd of people, although I'm sure the personal space was nice. But like we've talked about here before, um, there in that area, if you kind of got into a boat and went out onto the sea, um, you were surrounded by like an inlet of the lake and you had rocks and you had a hillside and it kind of created this natural amphitheater so that all the people who gathered around could hear what Jesus was teaching. And so Simon did that. He lets Jesus into his boat. He pushes off from the shore and Jesus teaches and he teaches and he teaches. And when it seemed like Jesus was finally finished, Jesus, instead of turning to Simon and saying, take me back to the shore, he says something else instead. He requests one more thing of him. This is Luke 5, 4. He says, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now let's remember Simon has already been up all night fishing, right? Um, He's already stayed late after work to help Jesus out. And and his wife is probably at home, like, checking, I don't know what kind of clock you had, (laughs) checking the sun to see, like, where is her husband? I don't know. Um, and, And so, like, he's already gone above and beyond. And now, here is this guy named Jesus, who is a car from Nazareth asking him, a professional fisherman, um, to, to go and, 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 and follow his own advice, you know? And it's not even good advice that Jesus is giving him. Everyone knew that the best time to fish in the Sea of Galilee was not in the middle of the day, but rather in the middle of the night. 
it kind of makes me think a little bit um, about the NFL championship games last week. Who, who watched? Anybody watch? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, there were some good games, right? Um, are there any Lions fans? No good. Oh, yeah, sorry. He's, like, very, you know, like, I know that they're a consolation prize. They're not the Packers, but, yeah, okay. Um, you know, that one was rough, right? You're up 24 to 7 at the half. People expect you to be going to the Super Bowl, and then, oh, things don't work out, right? You know the criticism's going to be a little rough, but it kind of kills me, like, to get on social media after that and see all the people who are like, well, if I were coaching this game, like, it would have gone like this, and uh, if, if Coach Dan Campbell would have called them, they would be on their way to Las Vegas, and, you know, you're looking at it, and you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure you've never played football let alone coach the game in your life. Um, but being a coach can be really tough. Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's an expert. Um, I'm a little sensitive to this. I'm a coach's kid. So, um, you know, people have their opinions and yet having like one little small piece out of a very big puzzle. So coaches, they have to get tired of this. And so with that in mind, I think I've always read this story in light of that. I've always read this story through this lens. I've always pictured Simon being frustrated by this armchair quarterbacking from Jesus. Luke 5, 5 continues on. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. Translation, we, the professionals, have done all the things by the book and have come up empty-handed. We have nothing to show for it. And then Simon goes on. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is one of those points in the Bible where, like, I wish we could see the attitude behind these words, right? Like, it would help us really make sense of this. But I've just always, uh, in light of not having that, inserted my own sassiness into this statement, right? I've always said it in my mind in this tone uh, that kind of implies, let me just show you how wrong you are, you know? Um, it sounds kind of like this, but because you say so, you know, with an eye roll for effect. Um, however, you know, like after zooming out this week and beginning to realize like how much Simon has already seen of Jesus, how much he's already seen of his goodness and his compassion and his healing power, you know, I have to wonder if I've always been wrong about this. <laughs> At every turn, Jesus has defied logic right? He's driven out demons just by speaking the word. He has, he has uh, healed all these people with just the touch of his hand. And so, you know what? I, I think that maybe this was not sassiness from Simon, but rather this was a declaration of trust. It was a statement of faith. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This is Simon saying, I'm going to throw logic out the window. I'm going to set aside my pride and let my ego go. And I'm going to give it a shot because you are who you are, Jesus. And so Simon does. He takes his boat out into the deep water in broad daylight, not seeming to worry about the other professionals on the seashore, probably wondering what in the world is he doing out there. And he lets down his nets, define common logic. And that's when it happens. 
abundance. He catches such a large number of fish that he can't even get them in. His net begins to break. He has to call over the other boat with his partners in it, and they begin bringing in the nets, and both of the boats begin to sink. Simon's response is to fall at the feet of Jesus in awe and in reverence, recognizing his greatness and feeling completely unworthy to be in his presence. But Jesus, he defies logic yet again, inviting this man who's already been passed over to become a disciple to join him. He says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Simon, he'd been watching Jesus kind of from a distance as a spectator, but now he finds himself getting caught up in this movement of Jesus. Common logic would tell him that that he wasn't good enough to be a disciple. Common logic would tell him that his chance had already come and gone. Common logic would say for him to keep plying this trade and doing this, this thing that was doing pretty well. But Jesus And Simon have already had these encounters, and Simon had seen again and again and again that Jesus defies common logic to bring abundance. And so Simon, he pulls his boats up to the seashore, and he, along with two of his partners, James and John, they leave everything behind, and they follow Jesus. No longer was he going to be watching from the sidelines. He was now a participant in this movement, casting his net to draw even more people in to the healing and the hope, to draw even more people into the redemption and the restoration of Jesus's upside down kingdom. But how about us? Common logic says that the way of Jesus is absolute foolishness. But again and again and again, Jesus defies common logic to give us abundance. As we get caught up in this movement that he started, just like Simon, common logic says that we will be fulfilled when we have have kind of accumulated as much as we can for ourselves. But Jesus says fulfillment is truly found in giving our life away for his sake. It wasn't long after this encounter that, uh, with Simon that Jesus would address these crowds that are following him around in the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, as it's called in Luke. He starts to outline to them how things work inside his upside-down kingdom. And this is a paraphrase of what he said from the message um, in Luke 6. It says, you're blessed when you've lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. You're blessed when you're ravenously hungry. Then you're ready for the messianic meal. You're blessed when the tears flow freely. Joy comes with the morning. You know, that's not how we typically think about things, right? That is not common logic. But Jesus, he goes on, and then he gives the crowd and us this challenge. He says, give away your life. You'll find life given back, but not merely given back, given back with bonus and blessing. Giving, not getting is the way. Generosity begets generosity. Jesus invites us to give our lives away as we find ourselves caught up in this movement that he got started all those years ago, a movement that might seem backward and upside down, but that is actually turning our world right side up again. That's what we get to do here together as a church. 
as we move from the sidelines, perhaps being like curious and maybe a bit cautious, and instead become active participants in our mission of invite, grow, and serve. We get to join in the hope and the healing of one another. And we get to join in the, the redemption and the re restoration of the community around us. We get to join Jesus in recreating this world into the place that he always intended. That's why we invite people to come fully alive. Not because we have all the answers and others don't, not because we're right and others are wrong, but because we have discovered this deep connection and this true belonging as a part of God's people and we want others to experience it as well. That's why we grow in our love for God and others, not because it's a requirement, but because we found that the more loved and loving that we become, the more freedom that we experience to offer who we truly are back to God and to other people. That's why we serve Christ for the transformation of our city and our world, not because we're trying to make ourselves look noble, but rather because we are moving with Jesus into the places and toward the people that he cares about. We are a people caught up in this movement of Jesus who have become convinced that he defies logic to bring us abundance. We are a people learning together how to give our lives away like he did. And so here's your playful experiment for this week, all right? Let's defy some common logic together. Whenever you find yourself having this impulse to, um, to get something in order to be fulfilled, not to meet your like everyday needs, not the essentials, but whenever you find yourself buying into that whole idea of like, if I just get this gadget in my Instagram feed, then my life will be perfect. Or uh, if I just get one more guitar, my music career is going to happen. <laughs> or, or like, it, Jeremy, I'll tell on myself, I threw you under the bus. If I just get that, that exercise bike, I'll finally feel like I am getting in shape. You know, like we can, we can tell ourselves all these stories, right? And like, really, if you boil the story, down it though it's like if I just get this thing finally I will feel happy if I just get this thing finally I'll be fulfilled so if you start to experience that this week just one time here's what I want you to do whenever you feel that impulse to get I want to challenge you to give away instead to find a way to bless someone else and let's just see what happens all right as we go to be a part of Jesus's upside down kingdom let's pray together Lord God, we are so grateful that you invite us to be a part of this movement of yours. You are a God who is constantly on the move. You are always pursuing. <laughs> You're always running after us. You never stop. You never give up. Um, you made the first move to bring this world into being. You made the first move to establish relationship with us. You made the first move to make things right when things got broken. And you've never given up on doing that since. You made the first move in coming to live here among us, to show us what full life can truly look like. And now you continue to make the move to invite us to join that same movement that can bring us fully alive. And so, Jesus, today we stand before you 
asking for you um, to do in us something we can't do for ourselves. You know, asking for you to transform our hearts, asking you to help us be just a little more willing to give more of our lives away so that others might join us in coming fully alive. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.